Or am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay and this is Praise, the programme that connects faith and daily life. Radio. Every person I have the pleasure to talk with on this programme is in some way special. But if you are currently finding life a bit of a challenge, I hope that my first guest today will give you that little bit of inspiration to face whatever lies ahead. And later in the programme, I'll be chatting with an Anglican priest from Liverpool who has a growing circle of friends here on the island. Music from Handel's Messiah might seem a curious choice when it's neither Easter or Christmas, but the reason I'm playing it will become clear when you meet my first guest. Emily Owen is an author and public speaker. When she was an energetic 14-year-old, good at athletics and a skilled musician, she developed symptoms which were eventually diagnosed as a rare genetic disorder which causes tumours to grow on nerves. These are benign, but they need to be removed each time a new one appears. Since that diagnosis, Emily has undergone numerous operations. She's been close to death, seen her appearance alter due to permanent damage to the nerves in her face, and has learned to cope with balance and mobility problems, which means she needs to use crutches or be helped when walking. She has also had to deal with the instant, total loss of her hearing. Despite all this, she's kept a remarkable sense of humour, an instantly likeable personality and a strong Christian faith. Prior to her illness, Emily looked set for a career in music, but had to rethink this when she could no longer play her beloved flute. To her surprise, the new plans involved writing devotional books. She's already written six books of reflections based on significant people in the Bible. And she travels around the country to speaking engagements and leads communication workshops at universities, hospitals, churches and other organisations, using her experience to motivate and inspire people of all ages, backgrounds, professions and cultures. 
Emily published her own story in a searingly honest and very moving memoir called Still Emily. And it was after I read this, at the recommendation of Andrew, the manager of Church's Bookshop, that I was keen to meet Emily when she visited the island a while ago. Before you listen to our conversation, I do want to remind you that Emily is profoundly deaf. She cannot hear anything, but because she grew up able to hear, she has a developed voice. But throughout this interview, Emily relied entirely on lip reading. So, meet Emily Owen. I was born fairly average. Everything was fine. No indication that anything was wrong with my health. And then when I was 14, I began to get really bad headaches, which eventually led to a diagnosis, which has led to more operations than I can count, including surgery that made me lose my hearing. Is this repeated surgery just going to be a feature of your life? No, it's it's a good question to ask. I I have tumours removed. That's what the surgeries are for. And they were on my auditory nerves, which is when they were removed, that's why I lost my hearing. But they do go on nerves anywhere in my body which is why I've had so many surgeries and no though it because of my makeup my genetics if you like my DNA they will always grow they will probably slow down as I get older so roll on the grey hairs <laughs> but they will just keep growing and growing and growing and so there probably won't be an end The most terrifying thing about that Emily must have been the fact that you knew that the surgery you had to have would result in you losing your hearing. And at that time, you were a very promising musician, weren't you? Music was very important to you. Oh, yeah, music was very important to me. And, yes, I should say, I, was, I knew I was going to lose my hearing in surgery. So I thought to myself the night before surgery, what music should I listen to? Because it's the last thing I would ever hear. So, I, as you say, I was musical. I knew a lot of music. But in the end, I decided to listen to Handel's Messiah. So that's the last music I've ever heard. Emily, somebody for whom music was the your very core of your being, you, you played the flute and you could have had a, a musical career ahead of you. That must have been so painful. How did you cope with that? Um, well, one thing I did in the run-up to actually losing my hearing, I tried to stuff as much music into my memory as I could. And I can't actually still remember some some music and still sing some songs before I lost my hearing obviously I knew that meant I was no longer able to hear but also I was no longer able to do the music and things I did but the reality of it is that it was all such a shock that actually the overwhelming silence the overwhelming thing was terror that I could hear nothing later on 
as life carried on, music became more and more of a gap in my life. If you like, you know, I could no longer put the radio on, I could no longer go to a concert. Still can't, obviously. And yeah, I do miss those things. So music, yeah, is a big big loss for me and other operations have affected my walking for example so there's a lot of things that I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore. Emily your book is an absolute inspiration because you are so honest about all the challenges that you faced through your surgery and yet as the book title says you are still Emily you are still an independent and strong person you also acknowledge the support of your family and of your friends and that you saw new strengths in those relationships. Is that what kept you going? Oh, absolutely. I don't know how people can do it without friends and family. I don't think I'm exaggerating to say without my family, I don't think I'd be here today. I've had so many surgeries and operations which have left me, you know, one even left me in intensive care. Some have left me unable to walk, unable to move, even unable to eat. And without them patiently, sometimes literally feeding me, all this kind of thing. I I really don't think I would still be here today, but it's not only the physical things, it's the encouragement and the just sort of being there and taking time and patience to, to talk to me when I completely lost my hearing and was so scared of everyone. They actually said, no, we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to be right here. As you worked out new ways to communicate... And you are excellent at lip reading. You are reading my lips and it's not an easy thing. It's only about 40% accuracy, Emily, isn't it really? Yes, you're right. I think it's about 40%, 40%, something like that. But before I lost my hearing, I went to see a hearing therapist just for her to tell me tips about, you know, being deaf. And one of the things she said was that lip reading is something that you can either do or not do. Although everyone can learn it to an extent, you either have an affinity for it or you don't. And from that day on, more than once every day, I prayed that I would be able to lip read. So I asked God, please help me lip read. I still do. Before I meet someone, even you today, I prayed, please let me be able to lip read this person because it does make communication easier if I can lip read. Before I lost my hearing, obviously I knew that meant I was no longer able to hear. And I was aware that often when you can't hear, your voice goes quite flat because you don't, you can't hear your speech. And I just thought, Maybe that's one thing that I don't have to lose. Maybe I don't have to lose my speech as well. So before I lost my hearing, I really tried to be aware of the intonation of my voice and other people's voice. I even would feel the vibrations in my throat as I spoke and other people's throat, if they would let me. Yeah, people tell me my voice does sound okay. It's better than okay. Emily, let's get down to the really tricky question here. Faced with all of these things being stripped out of your life, you could have become bitter and resentful and you could have pushed any kind of belief in God out of your life. You could have felt that you were being very badly treated. But you didn't feel like that, did you? No, I didn't. I was born into a Christian family, so always brought up going to church. And I have my own personal faith. I've made that commitment when I was, well, initially when I was six and then more strongly when I was about 15. So I've always had that belief in God. And my faith never actually wavered, even when all this happened. It, it's almost like, what other option did I have but to turn to God? Everything had gone so wrong. You know, that when I sat in that hospital and was told, you've got brain tumours, you've got this, that and the other, you can't leave, everything's going to change. And then as things carry on, things really did change and how poorly I was. And literally, God was the only place I could turn sometimes. So, no, I wouldn't say my faith wavered. I would say... 
my belief that God could really want me that wavered, if that makes sense. Because I, I, I didn't even want myself. You know, I'd look at myself lying in hospital, couldn't move, couldn't eat, couldn't talk, could, could really not do anything. And I, I genuinely thought, well, I don't even want to live. What's the point? I don't want me. Who would want me? But And in some ways, yes, I thought, well, why would God want me? But not in a sense of God doesn't love me. Just literally, why on earth would he want someone who's as rubbish as me? <laughs> and yet God clearly does want you and he's working so powerfully through you. Your book, I picked it up. I was only going to read a couple of pages. Oh. Two hours later, I couldn't put the book down. I just, I'll just read a little bit more. I'll just read a little bit more. <laughs> it's that kind of a story. It draws you in. Mm-hmm. It is an inspiration. Well, actually, my memoir wasn't my first book because my my memoir was never going to happen. So <laughs> I, I wrote books that had nothing to do with me at all. They were about Bible characters. Well, they are about Bible characters and about meditations, different things, drawing in different bits of the Bible. But my one criteria was that I did not feature in them. OK, my name's on the cover, but that's it. People kept saying to me, you should write your story, you should write your story. And I kept saying, no, no, never happening, never happening. And then one time somebody was looking at my books and they said, which is the one about you? And there wasn't one. And something finally, I mean about 20 years after somebody first asked for my story, finally clicked inside and I thought, maybe I should write it. So that's why that memoir's written, yeah. So let's go to your other books What was the inspiration to write those and is there a theme to those? Tell me about them. Yeah, well, I never actually was going to write. That was never particularly in my plan. (laughs) It just didn't occur to me that I would write books. But one time when I was lying in hospital, as I spent a lot of time in hospital, um, I was feeling that I wanted to get closer to God. I never felt that God wasn't there. I've always known he's there with me. But for some reason, I felt that I could be a bit closer than I actually was. So I thought, well, what I really would like is a book that was challenging and doable and engaging and short because I wanted to read it a bit every day and that would really help my relationship with God and help me grow. I knew exactly what book I wanted, but I'd never actually seen a book like that, exactly like that. I'd seen books that were kind of like it, but not exactly what I had in mind. Then, as I was in hospital, God said to me, well, maybe you should write it then. And so that's why I wrote it. That's the first one I wrote about Mary. And then when I got a publisher for the book about Mary, they wanted other Bible characters. So I also wrote about uh, Elijah and John. And then later on, I wrote about Esther and David as well. In the process of writing those books, Emily, did it get you thinking about different aspects of your faith? Did it change your relationship with God in any way? Well, for me, writing devotionally, because that's what it is, it's devotional books, one of the biggest honours, if you like, about writing that way is that you have to draw closer to God to do that. I need to be as close to God as I can possibly be when I'm writing. And so that's one of the huge, huge honours of writing a book like that. I mean, sometimes if I'm writing and I'm kind of struggling with a a passage and it doesn't seem to quite come, I say to God, right, let's go for a walk. And I pick up my crutch because I I do walk with crutches and we walk around the park and I sort of talk talk it over, mull it over with God. And very often when I get back home, I know exactly what I'm to write. Yeah, it is is about being close to God for me anyway. What you're really describing is a whole life woven in with prayer because going out and walking is a form of prayer, isn't it? Exactly, exactly as you just said. Life can be prayer. Prayer is about bringing God into our situation. So if we can just do that as we go through our days, then, 
yeah, life will be unfair. Emily, there's something you said a little while ago that I thought was so important, and you were talking about losing your hearing, and you prayed to God that you would have that gift to be able to lip-read. You didn't pray to not lose your hearing. You just prayed mm-hmm. to have the ability to cope with it. Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful prayer of acceptance, isn't it? What you're saying is exactly right. I never prayed that it wouldn't happen. I thought to myself, oh, yeah, the doctors are saying you'll be deaf, but, you know, that's years away, it'll never happen. So when, I, when the doctor said to me, we need to book surgery for you to lose your hearing, I was shocked because I, in my mind it wouldn't happen. But no, I never said to God, take it away. But I, I pray, help me accept it. What's the future for you now? I don't think anyone listening will be surprised to know. It will be operations. I'll have more surgery. I mean, I was in hospital six weeks ago, recovering from surgery. It punctuates my life a lot. But because it does, in some ways, it helps me to focus when I'm not in hospital. It's just a blip in my life rather than the major thing it used to be. So hopefully more books I carry on writing. Hopefully more speaking, carry on speaking. I hope for grace to face whatever comes my way, because that is always my prayer, give me grace to get through whatever comes my way. That is genuinely what I hope for the future, you know, along with the writing and the speaking of things, that I would just have grace to face my days. Emily Owen, it's been such a blessing to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a wonderful to be here. Thank you. Great Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah, the last piece of music that my guest today, Emily Owen, listened to before she completely lost her hearing due to surgery to remove a tumour from her auditory nerve. The extracts from the Messiah were from the recording by The Sixteen with Harry Christophers and the soprano soloist was Carolyn Sampson. All Emily's books are available through Church's Bookshop in Howard Street here in Douglas. And Emily has her own website, which is well worth a look, www.emily-owen.co.uk, and I'll put that address on the Praise blog. Reverend Dawn Harrison is an Anglican priest working in the Diocese of Liverpool, and I met her during a recent visit to her friends, husband and wife, Reverends Steve and Rebecca Ingruel, Methodist ministers in the east of the island. But Dawn is already known to some people here, because last year she was co-leader with Reverend Steve and his father, also a Methodist minister, on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, And indeed, the three of them will soon be co-leading again, as Steve is taking another group from the island on pilgrimage later this year. 
So my first question to Dawn was, what's so compelling about the Holy Land that draws her back there again and again? So this is going to be my my fourth visit. So this will be the third time of co-leading a group. My first visit was literally just as a priest wanting to explore the place, but very much a case of I'm going once and that'll be it. But unfortunately or fortunately, God sort of got hold of me and I've left part of myself out there because in that place you learn so much about different people but more importantly you grow in your faith and you see God doing amazing things so for me every time I take a trip back it's you see sites differently because you're seeing them through different people's eyes and you're seeing God grow in them and them grow in their relationship which for me is just the amazing privilege of leading a group you can never ever know how people are going to react um, even somebody that I know really well and I can think I'll know how they're going to react but you don't know how they're going to react and that's one of the things that when you're out there is being incredibly sensitive to the work of God's spirit in different people and making sure that you've always got eyes on on what's going on and what's going on in people and just making sure that you give them as much space as you can at sites when you can see God's at work in them you have the advantage of, of three spiritual leaders for the group. Do. do you think it's really important that you have a number of ordained ministers within the group? I think it's vital that when you take a group, you as leaders, you know each other really well. We are, we are very blessed as a group of leaders that we know each other really well and we can read each other on the day. But also we trust each other. If somebody says something like we need to stay longer here, it's like, OK, Spirit's clearly said something, so let's just go with it. But also for the group, if you've got three ordained leaders, you've got quite a few people that you can talk to and different people will want to talk to different ones of us and it's quite good I think that we've got a mix of male and female Anglican and Methodist we come with our own different skill sets and our different views as well which I think is really good amazing ecumenical feel to the group which I think which echoes both from the leadership team and from the the pilgrims that we take with us it's the diverse group that you can take the more experiences you will get your own faith journey as you were a a youngster did you think maybe one day I'll be a priest in the Anglican church no absolutely definitely not I always thought I would be a teacher I trained to be a teacher I was quite happy teaching I trained as a primary school teacher worked in primary school for a year moved into special needs teaching absolutely loved it from the bottom of my heart loved what I was doing but very much got a sense that This wasn't what I was going to stay doing. And my vicar at the time said, well, why don't you pray? Yes, Lord. Now ask the question. I was like, no, that's the wrong way round. I I need to know what the question is before I can say yes. And he was like, no, you say yes to God first and then you ask the question. So I did say pray that prayer for about six months. Um, And then one night I got an answer. And that answer was ministry. At which point journaled it, threw up, burnt my journal because I thought there's no way I'm ever going to do anything about that. Anyway, it just wouldn't go away. And the more I explored it, the conversations I had with people, the doors kept opening. So in July 2007, I left teaching. September 2007, moved to Durham, started training as an Anglican priest, which is where I met Steve, who was training to be a Methodist minister. And how the trip in some ways back then, probably that was God putting us two together at the same, in the same university uh, to train for ministry and develop a friendship, which has led to these amazing pilgrimages. 
just in conclusion, Dawn, just tell me a little bit about where you are now. So I, at the moment, am a schools minister and the Bishop's Officer for Spiritual Direction. So I work in a lot of our schools, helping them to try and set up worship communities, helping them to embed the prayer life in their school. So trying to make sure that schools are engaging prayerfully. But also, as Bishop's Officer for Spiritual Direction, I head up a network of 60 people, um, all of which are volunteers, all of which are trained and commissioned by the Bishop of Liverpool to have one-to-one conversations and journey with people on their spiritual journey. So I am very blessed to have two very different aspects of ministry. There's such important areas, what we can offer to our young people as part of their decision-making. So they've got the facts Mm. before they decide what they're Mm. going to accept or reject. And we also know that there are so many people who are looking for the deeper meaning in their life and who do you go to talk to about that you need that confidential safe space and with somebody i believe who's a been called to that ministry b been equipped with some training and c been commissioned to actually go and do this so they journey with people for as as long as they want helping them to grow in their faith to see where god is calling them and just to have those confidential conversations about what's god saying to you and where's god at work in your life or where's god not at work in your life or even if you're angry with god or don't want to talk about god actually do you know what let's just name that that's okay god's big enough to cope with that Reverend Dawn Harrison, thank you very much indeed for talking to me. Pleasure, thank you. Though trials will come, don't fear, don't run. Lift up your eyes, hold fast, be strong, have faith, keep on believing. Lift up your eyes For God is at work in us Molding and shaping us Out of His love for us Making us more like Jesus Consider it joy, pure joy When troubles come Trials will make you strong. Consider it joy, pure joy, and stand your ground. Then at last you'll wear a crown. Though trials will come, consider it joy. Music there from Graham Kendrick. And that's all that we have time for today. Don't forget to take a look at the Praise blog, where you'll find our full church notice board, alongside details of everything that we've talked about on today's programme. Just go to manxradio.com, on the homepage, click on air, and on the drop-down menu, follow the link for blogs. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise podcast. There's a new Praise podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead. <laughs>